Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Our text today is going to come from 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. The Bible's kind of split into two halves. There's the time before Jesus came, which is called the Old Testament. And the second half is the New Testament. And if you go about like six or seven books into the New Testament, you'll find 1 Corinthians 6. You can also just use your device if you like to that way. Beginning thought, a question will come up on the screen. Have you ever experienced significant disappointment? Try to think of a time when you felt significantly disappointed. One of the first things that came to my mind was, you know, because it's tax season, and you thought you were going to get a refund. You're like, yes, taxes is going to be great. And then at the end of the day, you're like, oh, you've got to be kidding. I owe more money. Anybody experience that disappointment? Okay, I'm so sorry for you. Just, I was just thinking of disappointments. Uh, I remember back when I was in high school, and uh, Cassandra, the world's most beautiful orange Julius server at the mall, Anybody remember Orange Julius? I think they're still around. So yeah, so I, I, I built up all this courage to, to go talk to the goddess of Orange Julius people and uh, struck up a conversation with her, talked with her for a while, asked her for her phone number, and she gave it to me. So I called her and asked her out, and she said no. I'm like, What? It's disappointment there, still a little scarred, still probably need some counseling from that one. Um, and those are just little examples of disappointment. Maybe, you know, physically you work really hard at eating right for like a whole week and you get on the scale and you still gained or whatever. Uh, I would compare those to some of the disappointments that some of you have faced may be a lot bigger deal. Like you just thought the doctor would say, hey, just going to put you on some medication, and long story short, short, you find out you got cancer. Like that's a big deal. That's a lot of disappointment. Or you are thinking that you and your spouse are, although it's not perfect, you're working it out, and instead they serve or served you divorce papers, and you're like, what? just happened. Disappointment. All those things, some of those things can be difficult, traumatic, disappointing, but I would submit to you that there is one, there's going to be a moment in the future that's going to make all those disappointments we just talked about pale, and it will be the moment when people leave this world, some of us will leave this world, and we will think we are entering into eternal life in heaven, and instead, we will end up in what the Bible calls hell. Can you imagine the disappointment of that? I think it's a pretty common, here's one of the reasons why it'll be so disappointing, because a common narrative in our culture is, whether we acknowledge it or not, or think, a common narrative is everybody goes to heaven. Have you ever been to a funeral where people gathered around the casket and went, man, Harry was a real turd. I'm sure he's in hell. <laughs> Have you ever been to that funeral? Even if Harry was a real turd, 
That's not what, nobody says that. Every, I think it's really, maybe I can think, every single person, right, when they die, everybody says, well, at least they're in a, that's what we say. Can I just clarify what the Bible would say? The Bible never says that eternity with God in heaven is an all-inclusive event. It never ever describes that. Did Jesus pay the price for all? He paid enough price for everyone to be in, but will everybody be in? The answer is no. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Goes on in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And at the end of that account, God says, away from me. People don't all get in. In Matthew 7, 13, more teaching on a description of the kingdom of God and eternity, it says, enter through the narrow gate. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and then the description is only a few. Find it. Can you imagine standing in line? I don't know that this is the way it'll work, but if you were standing in line and this massive humanity going toward the judgment seat of God, there's God, you can see him up there because he's huge, there's God up there, and you can see a fork in the road, and the Lord is determining, okay, yeah, you go, you know, you can see heaven over here, it's going to be awesome, it's not going to have any of the junk that's in this world, yeah, but you can notice from the back, holy cow, some people are getting sent this way, by the way, the sent this way is not a good picture, Matthew 25, 41 says, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that's where that road goes. Eternity is over here with God. It's going to be amazing. Can you imagine? This is just hard to even imagine. The disappointment of getting there. And if you're the one, if I would be the one where God would say, you're going that way Can you imagine the, see, disappointment's not a big enough word, is it? The horror of, you got to be kidding me. But, of course, it won't be a joke. Yikes. So hold those happy thoughts. (laughs) By the way, side note, today's message is really... Uh, it's really, really important, and it's just really, really serious. We are um, in a series called, Who Told You That? And we're grappling with popular delusions. And today's delusion is this idea that's pretty culturally relevant. Everybody goes to heaven. If you need a language for it, a, a word for it is called universalism. It'll come up on the screen. It's, it's the belief that all humankind will eventually be saved, and it's wrong. It is a great idea, it's really sweet, and it feels warm and fuzzy, but it's wrong. And so today we're going to explore a text that will give us some insight into how we can not be part of the disappointed masses, and not just that, these kind of things can help us also be helpful to other people so that they too might not end up with that tragic disappointment in their future. 
So in 1 Corinthians, the background on the text, Jesus has already come and, and, and done amazing ministry. He gave his life for the sin of the world. He raised from the dead. And then he's empowered the church to tell the story of the gospel. Paul has been sharing uh, the gospel, Jesus Christ, and salvation with a group in a city called Corinth. And uh, uh, it, Corinth, which is, this, it's, not so different than today. Corinth was a sinful place, kind of maybe a little bit unusually extra sinful. I was thinking it may be a little bit like Vegas on steroids. I mean, it's just kind of what it was, all kinds of immorality. And apparently there was some confusion among churchgoers, people who would say they are Christians, and the requirements, if you will, of eternal life. And so Paul is going to say to them, do not be deceived. And that's kind of part of our theme for how we're coming up with these talks. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Can we? It's not very many verses, let's just read it again. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Title of the talk this weekend is, Who Told You Everyone Goes to Heaven? And I want to, well, my hope is to clarify two, from this text, two necessities for uh, entrance into heaven, a heavenly entrance. So let's pause and pray. Father, uh, most of us realize this is really super important. And um, I pray that you would for some of us, remind us of things that we already know, but sometimes we just need reminded. For some of us, they may be new things. Boy, it could be, and likely there are some of us here or online, we are deceived. And I would say on our behalf, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to live in a fairy tale land. I want to know the truth so that I can so make a difference. And I pray, God, that by your grace, you would speak the truth to us today. So help, help, help in this talk. In Jesus' name, amen. Two necessities in this text. I see, I'm taking them in the order that I see them in the text. First thing is this. Uh, heavenly entrance requires effort. If you're here, you can write this on your handout. You can make notes at home. Effort in matters of holiness. Effort in matters of holiness. And if you want to simplify that Christian word holiness in living right, morally right, doing what's right, and avoiding what's wrong. 
the first section of our text, do not be deceived, and then it's got this list of sins or moral issues that we make decisions on whether we're going to obey or not obey. So it says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, there's a whole list there, idolaters, greedy, thieves, men who have sex with men, drunkards, slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is not the only list like this in the Bible. There are other lists of do's and don'ts. You can go to like Exodus chapter 20 where there are the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, there's some lists of, you know, you do this and you don't do that. But what is a little bit unique about this list is it doesn't just list sins or people who have fallen or stumbled into a sin. It would appear that these people are, it's like, I don't know if I can, it says it in, in the form of a title. So that's what I want you to see here. So do not be deceived, the sexually immoral. It's not the person who has sinned, fallen, it's the it's like the sexually immoral. It's like not a person who, well, let me try to illustrate. It's, it's not someone who has fallen in idolatry. It is an idolater. Do you see the difference how it's kind of a present tense, ongoing thing? It's, it's not someone who may have failed at adultery. It is an adulterer. Does anybody, does that, you see the little bit of difference? I'll try to illustrate. How many here if let's start with the first one, sexual immorality. If we paused and I said, okay, everybody here who has committed a sexual sin, we're going to invite you to stand. Don't stand yet. <laughs> but eventually, you know what? Eventually, if we said that and if we were honest and we explored sexual immorality, is any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage, it is uh, adultery in your heart, if you've ever lusted in your heart, if you've ever had a same-sex sexual encounter thing, all those are, if I said, okay, so everyone who has committed sexual immorality at some point in their life, would you stand? How many of us would stand? Anybody want to raise, and then if you raise your hand, I'm gonna, so tell, tell us what you did. <laughs> Just all of it? You did all of it? No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, but I'm trying to get everybody you know what, we've, not, not, some of us may not, maybe our age, we're young, but most of us adults at some point, we've all been there, done that. But that is different than, been there, done that is different than I'm been there and doing it. That's a big difference. Sexual immorality, what was in, try another one idolatry or an idol because it says idolater any of you ever had something in your life that you put in front of god that's idolatry how many of you have done that that's yes okay well i won't wait for everybody but we have done that so much that's different than how many of you are doing it are we doing that now then that becomes not just an act of idolatry that becomes there's a lifestyle thing here that's, it's, you, we are an idolater. Drunkenness. How many of you have been drunk? You lie every, right? No, some of you haven't. How many, anybody drunk now? Drunkard. 
So there's a difference between I have been drunk and, and a prediction, typically, and by the way, and I will be drunk by the end of the day. That would, that starts, moves you, it moves you to a different category of participation in sin, and it gives you the title. Things from my own life, I have been in seasons, I, before I became a Christian, I deserved the title sexually immoral. I, it was part of my lifestyle to uh, uh, make out with girls, you know, Cassandra, the George Julius girl, she, God saved her from me, because she said no. But like, and now, here's what I would say. It was not something, it was just like okay with me, and that's kind of what I did. It was just regular life, and I had, it, I don't know that I would have said it at the time, but I would have deserved, I earned the title. No, you are a sexually immoral person. That was who I was. Another one on the list was a swindler. I was, I would have deserved the title swindler because part of my position where I was selling things, I would regularly manipulate and lie to get money from other people. I would have deserved the title for those two. Now, there were other things in my life that I wouldn't have probably ever, I don't know that I've ever had the title thief. Have I ever stolen anything? Yes. Dave put a snicker bar in my pocket when I was in middle school, and he said, here, put this in your pocket. Like, what? And I walked out, and I remember thinking, oh, man, this is horrible. I'm going to jail. But I never started, I never became a thief. I just stole. Do you see the difference? No. There's a difference. Same-sex attraction stuff. Never, never to title. That wasn't a thing for me. What was another one? Drunkard. By God's grace, I was never a drunkard. Had I been drunk, yes, but it never became any kind of a lifestyle or that kind of a thing. There is a difference. And that's just super important when you start talking about heaven, eternity, hell, because it says, don't be deceived. People living in, with, a, with this as a lifestyle, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, isn't that sobering? So here's where we're heading. This is something you can write down. When Jesus brings salvation to a life, there is always a lifestyle change. Romans 6.1, the writer Paul says, What shall we say then? We is, we is a reference to Christians. He's writing to Christians. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, he says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we, and I've emphasized, how can we live in it any longer? The answer is we can't. If we have met God and Jesus Christ, we cannot just live in sin. He is too powerful, too holy, too convicting, too serious, and, it, and it, it, it's, that's not Christianity. It's not following God. When Paul, who's a writer of a lot of the New Testament, when he became a Christian, he would have had the title murderer. He was a murderer. 
But when he met Christ, he stopped being a murderer. Matthew was a tax collector, which probably meant he was a swindler and arguably a thief. But when he met Jesus and started following, he stopped swindling and thieving. A remarkable example is in Acts chapter 19. The setting is God's doing great things. A lot of people are coming to know Jesus Christ. It says in verse 17, the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. People are understanding who Jesus was. And there's this little note. It's a pretty small story, but it says, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. This idea of practicing sorcery, by the way, sorcery would be any. These people were in a lifestyle of ungodly spiritualism. They were doing spiritual things, but it wasn't connected to the real God uh, or Jesus Christ. So it would, in today's terms, it probably would have been, you know, witchcrafty, spell, seance stuff. And by the way, you can call it white magic or white witch or black witch. It, it, none of that makes any difference. It's spiritualism outside of God, and it's sinful. So these people had, they were doing this. By the way, the word practiced sorcery, the word practice there means to do, practice. It's the active process of performing. It is, i.e., a routine or a habit. It's just what they were doing as part of their life. And it says that they burned their textbooks. And if you read the rest of the story, this challenged me. The rest of the story they burned their tech, you know, their witch books on instructions about stuff. And it says that the books that they burned, there was a group of them, were worth 50,000 denarii. Was that, was it denarii? Shoot, drachma. It was a drachma. It was one of those two. It was a, little, it was a silver coin. It was worth 50,000 drachma. And a drachma, I did a little math, a drachma was worth a day's wages. So we're talking 50,000 worth of a day's wages. In today's term, let's just pretend you make 100 bucks a day. The books were worth five, in today's terms, $5 million for the books. And they didn't sell them on eBay. Right? Now this is, this is, this is the thing. They didn't sell them on eBay or pass them on uh, pass them on to somebody else so that they could, because they took the sinfulness so seriously that they quit it. By the way, they quit it. They didn't want to pass it on to anybody else. They just took the sin seriously. Wow. And it's because Jesus Christ was being held in high honor and people were understanding who God is. So to bring this into the room, here's a question for us to assess. Have I ever taken my sinful practices seriously? Have I ever? Like, can you think of a time when you were that serious? Where you realized your immorality and you did something radical to stop it? Your, or your greed? Same-sex attraction. Have you ever, by the way, if the answer 
If your answer to this is you cannot think of a time whether you ever took your sinful activity seriously enough to do something serious, I don't say this because I hope it's true. I challenge you, you may not be a Christian. You may not be a Christian, and you likely are not. Because when God enters a life, he does not enter a life to... to to snuggle in with our sinfulness. I heard this in our group. I, my wife and I attend a group on Friday nights, and the leader, um, they ended up in a conversation, and they said something like this. Jesus Christ did not come down from heaven and enter the murk and mire of our life to hang with us. He came in to pull us out of the murk and mire of our life. And I thought, that was good. I should be in a group. By the way, if you're not in a group, you might want to get in one, because sometimes really good stuff that happens. I'm like, that is totally true. Remember my early days walking with Jesus, I'd become a Christian. I don't know that I had been a Christian for a year. I was with a bunch of guys. We were, uh, one of my friends was getting married. I think it was Fred. Fred was getting married. And a bachelor party, and the guys brought out some videos. They were going to watch some uh, dirty movies. And I remember sitting there in the chair and thinking, I'm, I have to leave in front of 18 of my friends. I got to get up and leave. I was so glad for Brad and uh, Tim, who also got up and left. But that was a watershed time in my life. Do you, know, do you have any time in your life where you did something that was hard, but you took your own sin seriously and thought, I've got to make a change? I got a friend right now, I'm so proud to just know him, who recently, he took a demotion in his job, which was a financial hit, because the position he did have required travel. And when he traveled, there was more temptation than he could handle in the whole travel stuff. And so he changed his job and took a lower position so that he could get his life in check because he took his sin seriously. It's a big deal. But it lines up with what God says we will do when we meet Jesus. I want to clear up a little Again, because, you know, our, our series is on, right, who told you that? Just to be clear, Jesus' primary message when he would preach was not, God loves you. Some of you are like, what? No. Jesus' primary verbal, did he, he expressed God's love, he showed God's love through his work on the cross. Jesus' primary verbal message was not, God loves you. His primary verbal message is in Matthew 14, 17, says, from that time Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. His primary verbal message has hope. He wants everybody to be in the kingdom of heaven because he loves, but his message includes change. That's what the word repent means. It means change. The kingdom of heaven is near. I love that part. It's not so far away you can't get there. It's not eons that way. You'll never make it. It's way over there. No, it's like right here, but you got to shift and you got to make changes to participate in the kingdom of heaven. It's part of the gospel. To recap, the heavenly entrance requires effort in matters of holiness. The second idea is 
it requires emphasis on the work of Jesus. You can write that down. Emphasis on the work of Jesus. We'll get back to the text in a moment. Average illustration. Welcome to the vineyard. My illustrations are sometimes average. We have a car. Here's my car, the car that I drive. 2013 Honda Pilot. There it is. What I'd like you to notice today is how clean it is. It's pretty clean, isn't it? By the way, by nature, I am a hand-washed car guy because I'm cheap. We have water and a hose at our house. You can come. I have water and a hose, so I typically... But the other day, I was in a quick mart, and it was like I was getting some gas, and I'm like, for four bucks, I could run. So I took a shot. All right, we're good, which is just, I just typically am not. So four bucks, cool. So I went to the little car wash, and I remember getting in line. I was a little nervous because, you know, I was un, didn't know what, you know, I knew I had a code. I'm like, I hope this works because I was hemmed in in the back and the front, and I was thinking, great, I'll get there. This will not work. Then what do you do? You just go over the bushes, and I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so sorry, this is into my brain. I'm like, gosh, I hope this works. I've never been to this car. So anyway, get there. Put in my, you know, wait for a while. Put in my little code, 90911. I remember it. I already used it. You can try it if you want, but it won't work anymore. 909. Enter into the car wash. I go in. This is my, my job in the car wash, right? Stop. And then I experience the... Here's where, where I'm going with this is, if you ever came to me and said, wow, you're really good at keeping your car clean, on that day, I would have said, if I would have taken the credit for it, it would have been wrong. I, all I did was sat there while this giant machine went, came up this way, and then these other ones, and I'm sitting there going, whoa, look at this whole thing, came down the back, and I think it went past me like three times, like, I'm thinking, I hope my antenna's down. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And it did, it actually did a better job than I would have ever done with my hose. But I'm going to, of course, compare that to the gospel. And by the way, should we work? The first point was we should repent and we should try to, you know, honor God with our lives. But the reality of the gospel, so much of it has to do with, if, if you're going to be, let's go back to our text. Verse 11. Right? Don't be deceived. All these people won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. But it says, you were, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Key. You cannot lose this. We must not lose this. The key to our holiness, our cleanliness is the code, and it's J-E-S-U, it's the Jesus, plug in the number, and let him do what only he can do, which is, from this text, wash, sanctify, justify. These words here, uh, they all are different words in the original language. One means an entire washing and complete removal of sin. 
It means to make holy, hallowed and pure. The last one, make, declare righteous and innocent. Through what Jesus did on the cross makes us innocent. It cleans us up. By the, some of the things that I did when I had the title, sexual immoral, you know, things that I've done even since I became a Christian. I cannot go back and, era- and create innocence in my own life again. The pain that I caused other people, the dirt stuff that I did, you, I can and should repent of it, but none of that cleans up that mess. Do you guys understand that? You cannot go back and clean up the, the junk you brought into this earth. You cannot go back and clean it up. The damage is already done. So what do you do before God? You need God's supernatural work in your life to create in you so that when you stand before him and I stand before him, he says, you are innocent. You know, that's a miracle because there is nobody innocent among us. But Jesus paid the price for all that dirt and yuck and sin and evil and greed and sexual immorality and all those things. He paid for all that dirt on the cross so that through faith in him, we stand before God. And instead of God seeing all of our sin, he looks and he says, you're innocent. He says, you're innocent. That's the centrality of Jesus. He does for us what we cannot do. Yes, we should repent of our sin, but we cannot make ourselves innocent. Jesus Christ can. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, and Paul had a lot of baggage. He had a lot of baggage, a lot of sinful stuff, and he had done a lot of good things for God when he wrote this. But he said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Anything that I have done does not compare to the amazing work of Jesus to sanctify, wash, clean. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Go back to the, as we, as we get ready to close, remember the line going to heaven, fork in the road? Something like, it, it'll go something like this. When we get every single person that gets to the front of the line for the judgment seat of God, every single person will have sin in their history. Every single one of them. You know, some of us might have a little bigger bucket full, others not as much. But everybody will have their bucket of junk and consequence. The determining factor on whether, this just gets me, it's amazing. The determining factor on whether you go to hell or get invited into heaven is when Jesus Christ says, that one is mine. And the Father will go, you get to go there. Next person, they may... That one, that one is mine. I know her. She's my daughter. She put her trust in me. And I don't know how it works, but it changes the understanding and vision of the creator of the universe. And then he sees you, daughter. He sees you, son. When Jesus says, that one's mine, then we look 
and God like is, oh man, you, because, oh by the way, because you can't bring impurity, not, a, not an ounce of impurity will ever go into heaven in the presence of God. Because if, if heaven brings, has, if you bring impurity and sin into heaven, then heaven's like earth. And I don't want another earth, I want a heaven. And so there has to be a change that happens. And the key to that is Jesus. I don't know if that made sense, but it's true. So we're going to put the reminders up on the screen, and we're going to finish with just a little time to contemplate. Is there something that we need to be doing as individuals? Do you need to take, uh, is this a reminder where you need, to rem, you, you need to take your own sin seriously? If you're in a lifestyle of sin, I warn you in hopes of change, Repent. Because you are risking all eternity. And if you've never decided, Jesus, you are my only hope, you have, you, well, gosh, see, you don't have to. But you'd be foolish not to say, Jesus, I need you. There is no other way. So let's pray. Father, this is, a, this is one of those moments that can change our entire eternity. So a bunch of us, we just say, forgive us, Lord, for not taking our sins seriously. Forgive me, God, for those times. And I ask God, I ask, I ask, I ask, don't help me to repent and repent and repent. And if I fall, help me continue to take seriously my sin. God, by your grace, by your power, don't let us live in a lifestyle of sin. And if we are in a lifestyle of sin, I repent. We repent right now. Show us, God, what we can do. And Jesus, we trust your work on the cross. We have no other hope for entrance into heaven other than you as our Lord and Savior. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.